For the Hartford Current, I'm Mike Hammett, and this is Capital Watch. So I just parked in a metered parking space and I picked up my dry cleaning and my laundry because I have to look nice for when my new interior decorator comes over. I also just bought some new safety goggles, you know, for when all that dust is flying around the house. Here, let me go ahead and just check my credit card balance. Whoa, what the... Stay tuned. Didn't happen, just made all that up. And yet, on January 1st, just like back on October 1st, a new wave of taxes and fees were rolled out across Connecticut. We're not looking at break-the-bank numbers here for all of us, but a tax is still a tax. There were also a few new laws that took effect on January 1st. With me today to talk about all these new laws and taxes is content editor Russell Blair. Why January 1st? There was another round of this... In October, yeah. Last in, year, in October first, right? we saw uh, the minimum wage increase was probably one of the biggest changes that affected the most people on on that day. There's generally three times of year when new laws go into effect. It's either October first, January first, or July first. Certainly, there are bills that go into effect as immediately as soon as they're signed. You know, that's the case with some things. But I think the idea here is to give businesses and consumers uh, time to plan for things. Um, You know, if you're a business, you probably know if January 1 is coming that you might be getting some guidance from the Department of Revenue Services about taxes, or if you're a restaurant, maybe there's new labor regulations. I think they try to stagger them throughout the year so people know that, hey, this is a time I got to be paying attention to see what the changes might be. I see. So if there's a rhyme or reason to why something is an October 1st or January 1st or July 1st, it maybe has to do with how much time they want to give businesses or individuals to respond in some way. Yeah, and, and I'm just going to jump into the first one here sure. uh, that, that we're going to talk about is some changes where the sales tax is going to be expanded to include some new products. Now, this was part of the budget that was passed back in June. It was signed in June by Governor Ned Lamont. But this didn't happen until January 1st. And I think part of that was to give businesses time to get ready for this. Um, so the new goods and services that you're going to see the sales tax applied to now are Parking, that's, you know, parking meters, uh, parking garages, any kind of parking services, dry cleaning, laundry, interior design services, and the sale of safety apparel. All these taxes together are estimated to bring in about $25 million a year in new revenue. But people should keep in mind this is much smaller than Governor Ed Lamont's initial plan, which would have been to broaden the sales tax to apply to virtually everything. And and one thing that he has said is that it doesn't make sense that there are certain things that have an exception from the sales tax. So if you were starting from scratch and you were designing a tax, you might say, well, why, for example, is our interior design services not taxed? And you know, other things, you know, may be taxed. Uh, You know, why is laundry not taxed as a service, whereas other types of services are taxed? For example, movie theaters charge a tax. Why should Netflix be treated the same? You know, why is uh, there no tax on safety apparel, um, you know, but there may be other items of clothing that are taxed? And, And certainly, you know, every person that represents one of these groups would have a reason you know, for saying this, and we were talking beforehand, you know, safety apparel, there could be people that are in volunteer firefighters or something, they have to buy equipment, you know, why are we charging them a tax? That's not fair. And and that may have been the argument at the time for the tax exempt status. Uh, but Governor Ed Lamont has said, you know, we should just have an even playing field. Uh, if we tax everything, you know, we can keep it at that rate of 6.35%. And we don't have to talk about raising the sales tax rate. Sure. I was wondering why, for example, interior design and safety apparel, why these things kind of got 
uh, singled out in a way. Like how did – maybe they just didn't have a great lobbying effort. Yeah, I mean it could be as simple as that, you know, or it was done as part of a larger package or something like that. And I think it's – you know, once it's in there, it's hard to institute a new tax. There's always going to be people that are going to oppose that. So, um, you know, some of these industries that that have these tax exemptions – um, you know, I think they feel pretty comfortable that it's going to stay the course. Um, you know, one example that has been brought up is there was a proposal to tax legal services. Um, one of the arguments we heard from that was, you know, well, this isn't fair to, uh, you know, poor people that are trying to hire an attorney. But, you know, there were also people that said, well, you know, half the General Assembly, you know, give or take, are, are employed as lawyers. There's a lot of lawyers over there. Right. So, um, you know, if you have a lot of lawyers in the legislature and a proposal to tax Legal services, uh, maybe, it's not it's not, maybe it's not a surprise that right, that right, didn't right. go anywhere. And we were talking earlier about, you know, parking, for example, metered parking. That's a thing where now more and more people are doing that with a credit card. You're not showing up at the parking meter with a, uh, a set of coins. So it certain things like that make themselves more easily taxable. Yeah, I think that's certainly the case. Um, there was a lot of outcry uh, a few years back when they were talking about taxing car washes and people were saying, well, you know, if it's a self-serve car wash and you're putting quarters in, how are you going to pay that tax? And the businesses are just going to have to eat it because what are they going to do? Are they going to raise something from 50 cents to 75 cents now to cover the tax? But, you know, as you mentioned, uh, certainly parking is something that is being done uh, a lot more electronically. And I would imagine, you know, another thing on here that maybe you would think of as being coin operated is laundry. And I imagine there's a lot of places now, laundry services that you can use a credit card or a debit card. So as these things have gotten, you know, away from coin operation, I think the taxing becomes, you know, that that argument at least doesn't hold as much water. Safety apparel was made exempt in 2004. So does that indicate that sometime before that it was taxed? Yeah, I mean, it seems like it was something and, and probably somebody went to the state capitol and said, you know, it's not fair that I have to pay this tax on, you know, whatever I'm, I'm, I, I need for my job and, and this shouldn't be taxed. And, you know, somebody probably agreed and said, okay. And then they looked at the bottom line and I would imagine it's not a lot of revenue at stake in that. You know, sure. I, I, you know you're maybe <laughs> I mean, $100,000 right. or something, maybe less than that in, in the $20 billion state budget. And somebody probably said, sure, that, fine, no, go ahead. We'll let that one go. Why is Connecticut known to be notoriously hostile to businesses? There are loads of reasons. Many of them are contained in this budget and previous budgets. So the next one is one that maybe has businesses celebrating a little bit. This is the business entity tax is has been eliminated as of January 1st. So this is something that we heard a little bit about during the governor's uh, campaign in 2018. A lot of people call this basically a nuisance tax. It's $250 every two years that if you have an LLC in Connecticut, you basically have to pay kind of a, you know, a tax to be a business in Connecticut. And a lot of people said that sends the wrong message. There's all kinds of other fees that you have to pay if you're a business, you know, you ha- if you're licensed, you got to pay for whatever license it is. If you're a contractor, you know, you have to have a contractor's license, you know, all that all that stuff. So, why are we adding on an additional charge of just to be a business, you got to pay this fee. You know, and we heard, uh, you know, both uh, Ned Lamont and Bob Stefanowski during the governor's race, you know, singled this out as one they wanted to get rid of. I think just because if you're a business owner, you pay it. So a lot of people know about this tax. Sure. Um, getting rid of it, though, will cost the state about $44 million a year in revenue. So you see, you know, that is a is a bigger, <laughs> a bigger, a bigger, than I a bigger it... hit than You're right. the ta- other taxes we were talking about before. Right. So it's kind of all, you know, a budget is a balancing act. So, uh 
you know, this is something that will make a lot of businesses happy because it's just one less thing they have to worry about paying every two years. But then, you know, you got to find revenue elsewhere to make up for that. The DMV, place we all do not like to go. So now we're going to start seeing extended periods of time between licenses and registrations having to be renewed. Tell us what this is all about. You know, one interesting thing about this uh, is you don't really have to go to the DMV to renew your license. You can go to a AAA. You know, I did that the last time and, and it worked out great. But if you want to go to the DMV now, uh, licenses are going to be good for eight years instead of six. So the idea is people need to make fewer trips to go renew their licenses. That means fewer people in the DMV branches, which hopefully means shorter lines. And, and you know, it's a kind of thing where you know, how do you decide six years or eight years? I think the the thought was nothing really is going to change There's that no much. There's no difference between uh, six and eight. You know, once really. you get to be an adult, you really don't look that much different. You know, maybe your picture is going to be a little more outdated by a couple of years. Sure. But, but the idea was that the money will stay the same because the fees are going to are going to be the same $12 a year. So it goes up from $72 now to $96. But proportionally, it's the same. You're paying the same per year to, to have your license. Mm-hmm. Same thing with motor vehicle registrations. They go from two years to three years, and the registration fee goes from 80 to 120. So nobody's paying more or paying less. It's just increasing the time that these things are valid for, I think, with an eye toward fewer people having to make trips to the DMV and reducing the volume there and, you know, trying to get the DMV cleared for people who need to be there if you're doing something that you can't do online. And that's one thing that the DMV has been pushing in recent years is, you know, you could do registration renewal. You don't have to go to the branch to do that anymore. Um, you know, as I mentioned, AAA, there's a million options, different ways to do licenses. So I think they're trying to uh, make it less frequent trips uh, to the DMV for these sorts of uses. And, and you know, maybe the people that need to be there for more complicated things uh, aren't waiting in line for hours. And by reducing the volume of people who are at the DMV, I mean, there might be some minimal little cost savings in there, right? Potentially, yeah. I mean, you know, it depends on, I think, uh, you know, this will be the first year they're doing this. So they'll have to see, is there, you know, what's the, what's, what's the change in customers or, or, you know, I think before they make any decisions about staffing, you know, you'll have to see how this works out. But, you know, that could be uh, I don't know. Something just, that comes down the line. Is this essential? I mean, is this just a, just a goodwill kind of yeah, I thing think, I think to the so. citizens I mean, of I, Connecticut? You know, I think when, when this, uh, you know, this passed with relatively, you know, little discussion and, and you know, but it, when it did, it, you know, a news release went out from Governor Lamont's office and, you know, he said, look, we're trying to address things that people are concerned about, you know, during the campaign. He said he heard all about the DMV and people waiting in line and, you know, this is a nightmare. And so this is one small way to make a change that, you know, doesn't really do very much, but it it will cut down on trips to the DMV and hopefully reduce uh, some of the lines. There. Okay. Husky fans, listen up. We've got another podcast we want to tell you about. UConn Insider from the Hartford Current takes a deep dive into all things UConn athletics. Host Chris Broder brings you exclusive, in-depth interviews with coaches, players, and reporters who are dishing out expert analysis each and every week. Search for Yukon Insider wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe today. Want more from The Current? You can subscribe to our Five Things to Know newsletter to get the latest headlines in your inbox every morning. Politics, breaking news, Yukon sports, opinion, and more. 
Head to Current.com slash newsletters to sign up today. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to tell you about a new initiative here at The Current. We're all about new initiatives. Michaela Kane, take it away. Sure. I'm going to tell you about The Thread, which is our new news source for millennials, created by millennials here at The Current. Give us a follow on social at The Thread CT on your favorite platforms, or you can sign up for our newsletter at Current.com slash newsletters. You good with that? Yeah. Hearing aids. This is, you know, more and more people in Connecticut as you get older. This is going to affect more and more people. We're going to see this. So what's what's going on with hearing aids? Right now, under or, or under the previous law, insurance was required to cover uh, $1,000 for hearing aids over a two-year period. So a uh, maximum of $1,000 over 24 months. That's changed now to one pair of hearing aids uh, over the course of 24 months. And I think the the change there that's important is, you know, a pair of hearing aids costs more than $1,000. Right. Uh, so right. this is something where I think they're bringing the previous mandate that was there more in line with, you know, what is needed today. And, and you know, as you mentioned, certainly the state's getting older. I'm sure more people are taking advantage of this. You know, the, the technology has, has gotten cheaper and easier. It's, you know, more people are getting hearing aids and, and probably – you know, I would guess, I didn't look into this, but I would guess that lawmakers are hearing from constituents who are saying, I'm paying, you know, three, four thousand dollars and I'm only getting a thousand dollars covered and, and that's difficult for me. And, you know, this was something that they looked at and said, you know, maybe we need to bring this more in line with, you know, where things are right now. Because the intention, and again, this is without looking into it, but the intention may have been when this was put in that this is going to cover it. Okay, now licensing of community health workers. So another question of, of like, how did it work before? So community health workers, they sort of work between the community and people in the medical profession. Yeah, I th- this is a, uh, I was looking at uh, some information about this before we recorded, and this is kind of a growing field. They're not really clinical, like health professionals that are that are working in a doctor's office with people. Yeah. Um, they're sort of a liaison, you know, and a lot of them work for nonprofits. They're kind of like caseworker, social worker type of people, and they serve as the intermediary between, you know, some of these nonprofits that have a good foothold in the community and, and, and know the people that need services. And these people are in the middle and help get those people to the clinicians and the people that provide the services. So this is a newer term, this community health workers, to kind of identify people who have probably always been doing this kind of work in different ways. But right. this is kind of an umbrella term that, you know, the, the industry and, and the people have come to associate themselves with. And one of the things that was raised about this is that there was sort of a gap in the state's kind of licensing and cert- certification. There's licenses for for pretty much everything, all, all kinds of healthcare. Sure. You got to have a license, you got to be certified, got to get training, all that kind of stuff. And these people sort of fell through the gaps. And the idea was, well, how do we hold these people accountable? How do we make sure that they have the proper training? How do we know that they know the best practices? Um, you know, if somebody has a complaint about one of these community health workers, where do they go to? Um, you know, is is there a system in place to reprimand them? And there wasn't any of that. So right. this is essentially building a system to uh, license and regulate these people. And whenever you do something like that, it's going to cost money. So the idea here is that there would be registration and licensing fees that these people would pay. And then that money would help to fund kind of the staffing for the enforcement and making sure that, you know, if there are violations, you know, people can have their licenses revoked or whatever, or or to develop training, all that kind of stuff. 
So now there's also a certain number of hours you have to uh, train to get your license, correct? Was it a thousand hours? Yeah, so a thousand. You need to have a thousand hours of experience and pay a hundred dollar fee, and and you have to renew your certification every three years. So, you know, my guess is there's a lot of people out there who already have that experience. Sure. If they've been doing this for years, and and this is something that. Uh, the industry, uh, looking at some of the testimony, was interested in, in – this wasn't the government forcing them to yeah. do this. There was kind of a, a buy-in from the industry of, you know, look, we want, the, we want to be recognized. We want to have a system in place where, you know, people know we're trusted. You know, they can look us up, see our credentials, know that we've – you know. Sure. And, and again, also, as I said, it's part of this evolving – kind of healthcare delivery system that we live in, you know, the, the way things are changing is, you know, these are people who also, you know, oftentimes maybe have a better, can reach the people better than a doctor's office. You know, if you're embedded with a nonprofit that's in, you know, an impoverished community or something, you may have a better way to reach these people than the receptionist or the office manager at the doctor's office. So you serve as kind of the liaison, you know, and making sure, you know, did Mr. Smith get the right medication? Is he, does he have a way to get to the doctor? Does he have transportation? So it's those kind of things, you know, bridging the gap between nonprofits that work with these people, the clients, and then the medical professionals. Autism training for police officers. So presumably this is to help police officers work with autistic individuals. Tell us about this. So this is a change to uh, basically the training that the, D- the Department of Emergency Services and Public Protection, which is the state police basically, they, they offer uh, training. Um, and, and this is going to be incorporated in the training that everybody gets. So, okay. so it's going to be an addition you know, to the kind of regular police officer training is that there will be, you know, some amount of focus and, and discussion about dealing with people who are autistic. And, and, the, and the reason for this is there was testimony from police officers and, and others who said, you know, sometimes, you know, these people can act erratic or irrational and it's because of their condition. It's not that they're trying to resist a police officer's command. They could be frightened. They could be confused. And if you don't know what's going on, there was one example, a piece of testimony where it was somebody, I think it was a deputy fire chief who said, you know, he had a son with autism. So he recognized in this situation what was going on and he knew and he was able to talk to other people and kind of diffuse it. But you know, there was discussion in in the testimony about, you know, well, what if somebody doesn't know what's going on and they think this person is violent or is, you know, they're they're coming toward them or, you know, so I think there's a sense of, you know, we want people to be able to know as much as they can and, and know if that's the situation that's going on so that they know how to respond appropriately and they understand if somebody is resisting their commands or is not responsive or, you know, in a lot of cases, you know, it's kind of a, you know, maybe they're they're not engaging with you, they're standing there and they're not responding and, you know, and, you know, you don't know what's going on and to understand that, okay, this is a person that has a condition and this is how they're, this is why they might be responding in this way or or just to be, get them to be, think that could be a possibility, I right. think. Just plant that um, seed This in is their something minds. that you could run into and, and to know how to respond because they don't want things to escalate based on a miscommunication or a misinterpretation. So I think that yeah. is really the idea behind this. Yeah, I think that's a great thing. Okay, so finally, just a different way of dealing with abandoned and blighted properties. Is this a new set of standards? Yeah, so, th- so this is kind of a new mechanism for cities and towns to deal with uh, abandoned properties. And w- the way it works is it sets up this program through Superior Court. So Somebody can go and petition the court and say that they want to take over a property 
that hasn't been, so there's some conditions here. It has to have been unoccupied for at least 12 months. Um, that the it hasn't been bought recently. Uh, you know, if there's a new buyer that takes it, you can't jump in and say you want to take that over. Uh, it's not listed for sale. There's not a foreclosure, and that there are at least three problematic building conditions, basically like blight violations. Sure, sure. So, so you know, to to put it more clearly, the idea here is, you know, if you're uh, an interested party, you know, there's a bunch of different examples. One example is a neighboring property owner. So if, you know, you own a business and the business next door is closed down and the person that owns the building is not taking care of the property, maybe they're not paying taxes, maybe it's somebody that doesn't live in town, you know, absentee landlord situation. And you say, gee, I've got my business and then this lot next door looks awful. But maybe you're interested in expanding or maybe you just want to clean that up and sell it. This is an, a mechanism where you can go to the court and you can apply for this, uh, you know, and then there's, you know, hearings and things like that, I think, to, uh, you know, essentially make sure nobody has a claim to this property. And then if that's the case, you can buy it and you can redevelop it and then you can sell it. And this is something that we've seen uh, cities and towns. Hartford, for example, has a land bank program where, where you know, they through power they have as a city can go in and acquire properties and then they try to market them and sell them. I think it's an idea that, you know, if there are blighted properties out there, we should try to get them in the hands of people who want to, uh, you know, rehabilitate them and, yeah. uh, you know, want to sell them. And, and this is kind of clearing away, you know, some of the red tape that's there. You know, one of the problems in Hartford in particular is absentee landlords. And this is kind of cutting through that and saying, you know, if, if the person who owns this property clearly doesn't have an interest in it. If they haven't been maintaining it, nobody's living there. You know, there's no signs of any work or anything like that. Somebody else is allowed to come in and the court will grant them ownership. And one thing that's important about that is because, you know, you want to have clear ownership of something. You don't want to start working on something and then have somebody come and have a claim and say, oh, that property that you bought, you know, hey, I, yeah, that's mine. You know, what? so this is something where the court would legally give them the right to the property. You have the, you, you're the owner now. The old person is out. Uh, it would make a program where they could do that and then take over and redevelop some of these properties. All right, Russell, thank you so much. Maybe we'll come back and do this in July. Will there be another round of this? There will be some. I don't know. I don't know exactly what, yeah, what, on what they'll happens be. But, next? Uh, yeah, it depends on the legislative session that starts yeah. in February. Uh, you know, some things there could change. Uh, so we'll have to see. Well, that's it for Capital Watch today. Thank you for listening. Today's episode was produced with the help of current content editor Russell Blair. Our executive producers are Megan Merrigan and Dan Brecklin, and our senior executive producer is Andrew Julian. I'm Mike Hamid, the host and producer of Capital Watch, which is a production of the Hartford Current Media Group. As always, you can stay on top of Connecticut news by visiting current.com. We'll see you next time. Next time. Next time.